Vermont presents The Mark Johnson Show. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. A beautiful day today uh, here in the Champlain Valley. Thanks for spending part of it with us. Particularly beautiful if you uh, look to the east. There's a little peak of sunshine out there. Otherwise, it's actually kind of cloudy. But uh, forecaster Roger Hill says things are going to improve. Thanks for joining us on the program this morning. We're broadcasting live this morning from the University of Vermont at the Davis Center. And it is uh, today, it is the annual conference of Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility. And they are celebrating a big birthday today. We'll talk about that in just a moment. We have a, a great lineup of guests that will be uh, coming your way this morning, including we will chat this morning with the uh, CEO of Ben & Jerry's, Jostein Solheim, who uh, hails from Norway and is a, a big fan of uh, Chunky Monkey. So he'll be joining us coming up on the program uh, later, uh, coming up at about... Uh, 9.30 this morning. You're uh, welcome to join us on the program. Don't think just because I'm out on the road that you can't join us. It's the same phone call for you to reach us, and all you have to do is call us at 244-1777. That's our local number in central Vermont. And you can also reach us on our toll-free lines at 877-291-8255. We uh, begin this morning. We're in chat with the uh, well, the outgoing executive director of Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility. We'll also talk with their uh, chief lobbyist down at the state house joining us right now uh, is andrea cohen who's the executive director and dan barlow dan is uh the public policy director down at the state house uh andrea let me start with you this morning uh how are you i'm doing great good morning so uh 25th uh anniversary here that's uh that's quite a milestone it really is a quarter century of vbsr do you know trying to fulfill its mission of doing good by um you know supporting people families all while uh, running great businesses in the state. We kind of have the best and the brightest, I think, of the businesses in Vermont. Tell people what you're up to. Personally? Yeah. Well, this is my last PBSR conference because I'll be leaving the end of the month and going for, to Vermont Electric Co-op starting June 1st. Okay. Why are you making the yeah. switch? Um, I think it's a great time, frankly, for VBSR to transition. We're about to embark on a, our next strategic plan for the next 25 years. And um, I've been with VBSR for nine years now. I was the lobbyist and then the executive director, and I, I, I like change and, and churn, so I think it's good for the organization and also good for me, too. Tell us um, some of the accomplishments of 25 years. It is amazing. We, we were just looking back, and I know tomorrow's Throwback Thursday, and we're a day ahead, but we've been doing some looking back ourselves and um over the past 25 years vbsr you know was so ahead of its time on some of its vision about you know what makes for good public policy and um starting with um the case for universal health care was in 1992 so vbsr has been talking about universal health care for a very long time um the concept of supporting jobs and the environment uh instead of jobs versus the environment has uh, been a long-standing vbsr policy um came out in support of uh, Act 250 in 1993. Um, the Sustainable Jobs Fund was uh, created in 1995 because of legislation that VBSR initiated and helped get passed, as well as livable jobs and uh, living wages policies. And we were right up front on civil unions back in 2001 and subsequently, of course, marriage equality. But uh, business leaders at the time knew that what's good for people is good for business and really jumped in early on that issue. Um, and back in 2004, VBSR put out a policy about GMOs uh, not being good for the Vermont brand. So, you know, over 10 years ago, talking about GMOs being of concern for our um, economic sustainability. And finally, you know, energy efficiency and renewable energy since the very early days VBSR has been advocating. So you look back and, and you, you, you take stock and you realize that, um, VBSR was really ahead of its time on a lot of these issues. And so now's the time where we say, okay, what's coming up? And we know we still have more work to do on issues like economic justice and wages and working conditions. And of course, the environment, um, continues to be a challenge. So we're, you know, we've got a lot of work ahead of us as well. Let's talk about some of the work that was happening this year down at the legislature. Dan Barlow's joining us. Dan, good morning. Good morning. So the session started with uh, the governor dropping this whole idea of, uh, of 
of uh, going forward with this universal single-payer system, whatever term you want to use. That that must have been sort of a little bit of a blow to start the session. Uh, you know, it was disappointing. Uh, you know, VBSR is a long track record of working for universal health care, and, uh, you know, we were looking forward to, I, I expected this year to be uh, talking to lawmakers about a uh, $5 billion universal health care package, and then now we're in the final week of the session, and we're fighting over an $11 million health care bill. So it's been a, a big change in the landscape, but I don't think uh, this conversation is not over. The bill that the uh, legislature is looking at now has a study in there for universal primary care, which VBSR is really excited about. I think that could be the next step for health care reform in Vermont. It's a manageable step. It's not a system-wide change, but it's a good first step. The governor also had proposed this fairly large um, pay, uh, payroll tax uh, that would have created and, and helped lessen this Medicaid differential that that doesn't I mean it's not going to come to pass is that equally disappointing Dan you know um, uh, our members for a long time have been concerned about the the cost shift when government underpays programs it increases the cost for uh, health care for for businesses and and, and and Vermonters who are paying around premiums um, so uh, you know our our main goal was universal health care big systematic change we did see that addressing the cost shift was a, another good first step so it's disappointing that the legislature did not grab on to that uh, you know as things think simply wasn't the year to propose big new taxes. There was no appetite for that uh, with the legislature. So, uh, But again, I think his proposal was a 0.7% payroll tax, which is a pretty modest um, proposal there. And, you know, uh, our analysis was that would have uh, stemmed the tide of increases in, on health care for, for businesses, and that's why we supported it. What's, um, what's been the experience of your membership when it comes to the Vermont Health Connect, the, the exchange? You know, uh, I think uh, a lot of our members were pretty disappointed in that rollout. Uh, we had uh, some members who spent a lot of time preparing and uh, analyzing if they should drop coverage or keep coverage, what would be the best for their employees and for the business. Uh, so they invested a lot of time in, in getting ready. And of course, the business side of Vermont Health Connect never got, got up and operating. Um, so, you know, uh, you know that was disappointing, but uh, I think, uh, you know, going forward, uh, we have our eye on a larger prize here. Mm -hmm. what, what's, what are you hearing from yeah, your membership about uh, that? Yeah, you know, it, it's so disappointing for so many of our businesses who got out early to get on the exchange and we actually have been working as a healthcare navigator and providing direct assistance and and things had shifted so many times that the predictability you know the, the confidence and whatnot uh you know really diminished so uh folks are you know business people really are just going directly you know to their um private insurer but the the hope was that we would give our employees more choice a more opportunity because right now I pick a plan for my employees and the hope was that actually they could pick a plan and they could up, upgrade or downgrade and you know maybe get different benefits in the package so that's still a hope that we'd love to get to that point but we're not there yet mm -hmm. paid sick leave Dan I know that was another one you were watching it um, tell me what do you is this got any prayer here in the last few days to come come to pass or not you know it's uh, so it has passed the house um, you know we're, we're working on the Senate it's not going to pass this year in the next week or so uh, so we're looking at 2016 right now for the Senate. You know, from VBSR's perspective, there are 60,000 working Vermonters right now who have no access to any paid time off, and that really causes some real disturbances for families, both, you know, uh, the structures and the economy of a family. Um, so we were really concerned that, uh, you know, Vermonters don't have a safety net when they get sick or a child gets sick or a family member gets sick. And, you know, looking at the bill, I think it's a very modest bill this, uh, that was proposed this year. It uh, takes into consideration some of the, the concerns that the business community has had over the past few years and it really sets a very modest floor uh, for Vermonters to earn some paid time off from their employees. So we think this is a good bill. I'm looking forward to working with the Senate on it next year. So what happened on this? The Senate passed it before and then they the didn't pass it this year. So what's the deal? I, I don't think the Senate has passed it. I know um, uh, the Senate Economic Development did some hearings early on this session. Um, uh, Senator Phil Baruth was the lead sponsor on there and then the, the shift, the, shift fo uh, the focus shifted over to the House and House General and they're the ones who end up passing it and needed to go to the House floor. So there was a little bit of work on the Senate side this year, um, but it didn't get, make it past the committee. Okay. So what else were you watching down there that was, was of concern to your membership? Uh, you know, it's... Uh, wait, wait, before you do that, sure. don't most of your members provide this anyway, this sort of 
help to their employees? Absolutely. Most VBSR members uh, have pretty comprehensive paid time off policies. You know, a, a lot of businesses these days are doing a CTO policy, combined time off. So it's, you know, vacation, holidays, paid sick days. Yeah. Let the employee decide how best to use their time off. Um, and what we hear from businesses is that uh, they really do see the benefits coming from giving this uh, benefit to their employees, you know, uh, reduce turnover, increase productivity, increase morale. So these have real tangible benefits to the business when they offer this benefit. And we also kind of hear horror stories about Vermonters who have to make tough choices when they don't have access to pay time off. Mm -hmm. Okay. What else were you watching down there? Um, a lot of things this year. Uh, watching the energy bill, H40, uh, the reset bill, also a little bit of work on the lake bill, uh, and also uh, um, monitoring the, the tax package. Uh, there is some uh, tax reform that VBSR wanted to see, you know, uh, including, uh, um, you know, uh, expand, you know, working on to limit some of the deductions on the income tax to make that a little more fair and a little more pr uh, progressive. Uh, you know, right now Vermont's leaving about $5 billion do uh, of taxable income on the table, uh, you know, and, uh, because we do our income tax a lot differently than many other states do. Mm -hmm. So uh, did a lot of tax work this year as well. Mm -hmm. What about this idea of expanding the sales tax to services? Is the, has your group taken a position on that? Yeah, so we, we do think uh, that there's a lot of merit to that idea. It, sh it would need to be coupled with an overall reduction in the sales tax rate, however. Uh, and I think that was the recommendation of the Blue Ribbon Tax Commission. I know Senate Finance, their proposal didn't go, didn't bring the rate down as far as the Blue Ribbon Tax Commission say, wanted. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's more work to be done on this, but it's pretty clear that we have an economy that's moving away from goods over to services. Uh, and we're, we're, you know, the, the problem the state has with its budget right now, you can track some of that to the sales tax. Mm -hmm. In uh, 10 words or less, the next 25 years for v VBSR, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> so what next 25 years, what what should this group do now that you're yeah. leaving? Now you can, you know, tell them all what to do. Exactly. Um, well, you know, something we've been thinking a lot about uh, is economic justice. This disparity of folks that have and don't have, and it's not a sustainable system. It's not a healthy system. And we've got to figure out how to bring people up and help everybody thrive and have strong communities, you know, good education, good health care, good infrastructure in every sense of the word. It's not just roads and bridges anymore. Infrastructure is child care. Um, and, of course, we hear a lot about telecom. So I think we just want to make sure that our communities are vibrant and stay strong and uh, support people the best we can. I think that's a good vision for VBSR. How many members at this point? At this point, we're about 800 members and um, doing great. I mean, our members, again, are just, you know, so engaged and so supportive and, you know, doing great things in their community. We never have enough time to get the word out about all the good stuff that, you know, having a good job is probably the best thing you could do to be socially responsible. But these folks not only do that, they just go beyond that and they support their, their staff and their communities, you know, every day. So we're so proud of them and all the work they do. Why should somebody join? Join the group. What do you get? What's the benefit? Yeah, it's a great net. You know, one, you, you hear Dan and you talk about these policies. If these policies resonate with you, you know, for a lot of our members, we're the voice of business that they connect with. They're like, that's, that's, you're speaking for me. I get that. Um, so a lot of members join for our public policy work. Also, members join for networking events and education like today, like the workshops we have lined up today. People are going to, you know, go back to their workplaces and have so much information and so much skills you know that they're going to gain um so it's the education and networking also that's a real value okay hey thanks Thank appreciate you. it andrea cohen is uh, the outgoing executive director dan barlow is uh the chief lobbyist down at the state house for vbsr coming up next we're going to talk with uh, jed davis of cabot quick break we'll be back right after these important announcements Hi folks, this is Wendell. Have you heard about the $1,000 shopping spree? It's going on this month to celebrate Memorial Day. Just go to Wendell's Furniture next to Costco or the Vermont Bed Store at 4050 Williston Road and pick up your first entry ticket. It's free. Now the fun begins when you buy something you were going to buy anyway. You get another ticket for every $100 you spend, and that increases your odds of winning. For example, come in and buy a Flexil sofa, recliner, or sectional. If you spend $1,000, you get 10 more tickets. $2,000, you get 20 more tickets. The more you buy, the better your odds. On Memorial Day, I pick the winning number and post it on Facebook. You could be the winner of a $1,000 shopping spree. 
Now you can get $1,000 worth of anything else for free. Whatever you purchase at Wendell's Furniture or the Vermont Bed Store will increase your chances of winning. Wendell's Furniture next to Costco and the Vermont Bed Store at 4050 Williston Road. We have up to 60 months financing available. Wendell's Furniture. In fifth grade, Simone Patridge's row of shiny gold stick'em stars run the length of the gym. I had seven stars for the year. One for attendance and six for creating the biggest chalk cloud clapping the erasers. Well, as long as the lunch ladies favored me with the salmon pea wiggle, I could have cared. Now I award my own stars, seven, for each visit to Obishon, where they're sporting 40-pound topsoils for just $1.95. You can get an 80-pound Quick Creek concrete mix for $3.75. Need miracle Grow pot and soil? Two cubic feet is $9.95, and three cubic feet of assorted mulches, two for seven bucks. Award yourself seven stars for getting to the Obishon near you, or 25 stars for going to the one furthest away. <laughs> it's still fairly close. All Obishons are right in the northeast. Make it a romantic getaway. Say, hey, honey, let's go to Agunquit, get some lobsters and chowder and some pot and soil at the Obishon. It's worth 25 shiny stickum stars. Obishon, it's good to go to. It's hard to spell. It's fun to say. Obishon. Hardware. You know, darling, there are so many wonderful things about the month of May. That's true, Madonna. And all month, One Stop Country Pet Supply is celebrating a few of them. Mother's Day, Memorial Day, the opening of our outdoor ponds, with a month of great deals. They got these deals on all my favorite outdoor toys, like Chuckets and all other canine hardware. That's good. Because it can get a little rough when me and the boys are playing backyard keep-away. And if you're looking for a neat Mother's Day gift, check out the really cool new beta tunnels. Of course, maintaining a good fish pond is lots of work, but One Stop Country Pet Supply has lots of beautiful fish to stock your pond, like imported Japanese koi fish, pond comets, shibukin, and sarasa. Celebrate the month of May at One Stop Country Pet Supply in the Twin City Plaza, Berlin, Vermont. Close Memorial Day. RB Technologies on Route 14 in East Montpelier has been creating and supporting thoughtfully designed, custom-crafted computer networks and communication systems for their business clients since 1997. Here's team member Chad Avery. I believe RB Technology wants to provide transparent IT business solutions to clients who want a peace of mind about their IT infrastructure. Creating respectful business partnerships is our goal. We are a growing Central Vermont business with a dedicated staff to provide IT solutions that work. We are professionals and will always treat you with respect. With our new remote management and monitoring system, we can provide remote support and IT solutions efficiently. I evaluate success through good relationships, teamwork, and finding the balance in every step. We're all in business together. The team at RB Technologies knows it's all about building lasting relationships. Call 223-4448 or online at rbtechvt.com. When you think of business technology and communications, think of RB Technologies. Broadcasting live this morning, we are here at the uh, Davis Center at the University of Vermont. It's the 25th anniversary of uh, uh, Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility. And uh, joining us right now, let's give a nice warm radio Vermont welcome this morning. Jed Davis is with Cabot. And uh, Jed, thanks for joining us. How are you this morning? Thanks, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. So we're going to talk a little bit about food waste, one of my favorite topics. So where, what connection? what's the connection between Cabot and food waste? Because, I mean, no one's throwing out any, any remnants of the cheese, right? We're hoping that there's none that goes to waste at all. But generally speaking, with the Universal Recycling Act and some of the things that are coming along to ensure that food waste does not end up in the landfill, that's really the major push here. About 11% of what's going into landfill, at least based on a 2013 study, is food waste. And there, you know, besides the obvious problem there of diverting it from higher needs, it also creates issues relative to the climate and, and emissions. It creates issues around, um, you know, rodents and, and other more, you know, mundane problems. But first and foremost, that, that food can be feeding people. 
And we know that simultaneously we have people who are hungry in Vermont, and at the same time we have food that's not being used in a maximum way. Even if that does not go to feed hungry people, there are alternative ways to get value out of that, whether it's using it to create energy or a number of other opportunities. Okay, tell me about this food that's going to waste that could be actually consumed by other humans, because when I think of you know this, I think of compost, and that's pretty much gone. Mm-hmm. Well, so there's, there's a couple of diversion tactics. I mean, and I think some of our retail growers and others have been very aggressive, uh, manufacturers as well, really working closely with the Vermont Food Bank to try and make sure that even with very tight-coated product that as much as possible is is used to, to feed folks. Yeah. Um, EPA has a hierarchy of, you know, sort of benefits out of, out of waste, and so certainly feeding humans would be first. A second uh, on that hierarchy would be feeding animals. Uh, so in other words, it, it may you know be something that goes for pig food or something like that. Another level of benefit would be composting. Now, that could be composting at home. I mean, that mm-hmm. could be residential composting, which there are a lot of programs to support that. Relatively simple. It's a way to engage in really understanding what part of the food you brought, you bought and brought home from the grocery store did not make it into someone's stomach. So that's a very tangible way. You know, composting on a bigger scale, there are some companies, Grow and Middlesex and others, that are, are trying to figure out a model that can work there. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, we're looking at some things um, for Cabot Creamery. Not, we don't have anything in Vermont at the moment, but one of our farms in, Mass- in western Massachusetts, which is located near one of our production uh, facilities, we're a- able to take whey buttermilk, which for us is a, uh, you know, a byproduct that otherwise would go to, to waste. And we're able to put in that into an anaerobic digester. The farmer mixes that up with some uh, manure. Uh, we, we have Casella Organics down there helping us to, to balance all of that. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, they're creating electricity, which we're then pulling back down to help run our facility. So it's a nice closed loop. And I think there continue to be opportunities of that sort where getting people together with some good thinking, oftentimes this requires support from regulators. Um, in, in Vermont, we still need to tweak a few things before that same model that's working in Massachusetts can work here. I, but we'll get there. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the sorts of things, looking at, 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 at making sure we're getting people so that they're not hungry, making sure that we're, you know, working on improving the soil when that's, a, and, and making sure that we've got sources for renewable energy. I think those are three goals that all relate to food waste. I'm not sure everybody thinks about that on a regular mm-hmm. basis. I'm still not clear though. So what is, why is Cabot getting involved in this? Well, so from a manufacturer's standpoint, we have waste streams similar to the way buttermilk that I mentioned yeah. that ideally we'd like to get a higher and better use for these streams. And I think one of the things, there's a, there's a panel today about food waste, and I'd be shocked if one of the major themes isn't that, you know, waste is becoming a word that no longer really belongs in the vocabulary. If we don't, as a society, start looking at these various streams as either byproducts or even better, byproducts that can be repurposed for additional benefit, that then we're missing the, the big picture. Because if we continue to think of these streams as waste, whether it's food scraps or whatever it is, we're not fully recognizing the embedded value value yeah. of these streams. Yeah. Absolutely right. What were the what are the tweaks that you think have to happen to make the recycling program or the program similar to Massachusetts or better? Um, you know, we always aim for better. The uh, at the moment, the making sure that there is the opportunity to commingle streams like. Uh, food scraps and cow manure. Uh, what we've seen in our example is that um, you can actually use a, you know, you can have an anaerobic digester, which is a big investment yeah. on a smaller farm if you can supplement the manure with food scraps because the food scraps bring in some additional energy that lets the project pencil out better. Normally, an anaerobic digester, you're talking 750 to 1,000 cows to, to make that pencil. 
we've we've got one farm in Western Mass that's doing it with about three hundred uh, about two hundred and fifty milking head. Okay. So, you know, we'd like to see that sort of scaling because at the end of the day, you know, we we strongly believe that that our our dairy farmers are part of the solution, and and we don't even know yet how they may be part of the solution, but we're engaged in trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. Are there still subsidies available for these digesters? Is, are those programs still in, in play? To some degree. I, mean, I, I think what would be fair to say is most of the digesters that are going in are, are subsidized in some way, shape, or form, either through grants or through programs that are existing. Some of those may be statewide. Some of those may be federal. But they're definitely um, anybody looking to put in a digester it involves navigating some of these other support streams. Again, it really does come to how how that pencil gets sharpened. Mm-hmm. Have you looked at all at this residential program here in Vermont that they're talking about and the composting and the recycling? I know there's some concern about whether or not a uh, people will be ready or they're going to be able to make this transition. I know I, I'm not an expert in this at all, but I do know that it's you know it's it's tiered in between yeah. now and the the final uh, compliance date of 2020. There are a lot of, um, uh, I, I think one of our goals for the panel today, at least among the business community here at VBSR's conference, is to demystify a little bit of that. And mm-hmm. on the panel, we've got, we have some members from um, the Department of Environmental, uh, it, we have Tinton um, Solid, Solid Waste District. Uh, we have Lisa Ransom from Grow Compost, mm-hmm. and we have uh, Robin Sutton from uh, New Moon, which is a restaurant that is having to deal with this already. And so we're trying to get some perspective that's boots on the ground, as well as you know from the uh, the various governmental organizations that are, are trying to make this happen. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thank Good you, to Mark. See you. Jed Davis is with uh, Cabot Creamery. We'll take a short break. Coming up next, we're going to talk with the CEO of Ben & Jerry's. We'll be uh, back broadcasting live this morning from the VBSR annual conference back after this. It's yet another new service at Express in Stowe. They have three brand new Xerox machines. One is the latest state-of-the-art color copier. Then there's the latest high-tech, high-capacity black and white copier. And the new one at the counter that copies, emails, scans, scans to a thumb drive and faxes in black and white or color. Take advantage of the all new technology at the Express and Stowe. Since 1985-253-9788 online at theexpressink.com. Potholes. If you live in Vermont, you know how big they can be and the damage they can cause. This year was especially bad, but Jack Castellaneta and the service pros at Formula Nissan have the solution for your pothole problems. If your car or truck is out of alignment because you hit a pothole, it can wear down your tires and ruin that great gas mileage. So we've made arrangements for a special offer on a four-wheel alignment, just $49.95. Jack, that's any make, any model, a four-wheel alignment for $49.95? Absolutely. If you're pulling to the left or pulling to the right, it's probably that big pothole you hit this winter. Let our factory trained technicians put things straight and keep your car running true. $49.95 for a four-wheel alignment from some of the best factory trained technicians in the Northeast. It's going on right now at Formula Nissan. Any make, any model. Bring it to Formula Nissan for a four-wheel alignment, just $49.95. We're on the Barry Montpelier Road next to Pizza Hut and at FormulaNissan.com. Let us show you how easy it is to do business here. Parts not included. Get ready for the Vermont Chamber Business and Industry Expo, featuring a redesigned event format. Join us for one full business day of networking and seminars on Thursday, May 21st at the Sheraton Burlington. As the region's largest B2B trade show, Expo is the perfect platform to network with over 3,000 business attendees and exhibitors. Visit an expert in the new digital marketing hub sponsored by dealer.com and make sure to register early for tickets to the senator Leahy business breakfast and td bank innovation institute visit vtexpo.com to register today you have a basic idea of how you want your completed new kitchen and bath project to look and to function but the selection of products available to achieve your goals is seemingly endless it's not enough to visit a big showroom and ask assistance from a sales clerk This is Dana Wiles at the Country Home Center. We're tucked away in Morrisville, but many of Vermont's leading contractors agree that Country Home Center's kitchen and bath inventory and design service is one of the finest in the area. Brian Hill heads up our kitchen and bath design team. They know what products are available to meet your tastes, needs, and budget. From consultations in the store 
and at your home, they'll create 3D full-color designs of your proposed project. They'll be with you from concept to completion. Email Brian Hill, spelled with a Y, at brianhillchc at comcast.net. Your new kitchen or bath begins and ends at Country Home Center. Visit us at countryhomecenter.net. Broadcasting live this morning at the Davis Center at the University of Vermont. It's the annual conference of Vermont businesses for social responsibility. And uh, joining us right now, let's uh, uh, let me take a first a moment of your time reminding about our good friends at Jet Service Envelope. If you're looking for an outstanding local printer, make it our friends at the Jet. You can reach them toll free at uh, one tr- or at two two nine nine three three five two two nine ninety three thirty five. They can take care of literally any and all of your printing needs, whether you want to have your memoirs published whether you want to get a nice trifle brochure done for your business, or uh, whether or not you just want to get some nice new letterhead, maybe some new envelopes. It is the easiest and cheapest way for you to put a nice uh, new fresh uh, coat of paint on your business. So we very much encourage you to call the folks at the Jet. You can reach them at 229-9335 and on the web at Jet Service. And then you got to put a little hyphen in there, uh, envelope.com. Let's give a nice term radio for my welcome this morning to the CEO of Ben & Jerry's, Yostein Solheim is joining us, just doing a little reminiscing about um, uh, relatives in Norway, uh, which is from where you hail. Yeah, that's right. I come from Bergen on the west coast of Norway, but uh, married a Brit and have lived in, I don't even stopped counting, I think it's six or seven countries by now. I think my wife, for her, has learned six languages to uh, manage our family affairs as we've traveled around the world. Yeah, you've been with Unilever quite a long time. A long time, yeah. Talk about what you did in the past. Well, yeah, it's an interesting Unilever, like all big companies, you know, has gone through enormous transformations. So I started actually in London in the sort of corporate head offices of Unilever and worked for the board of Unilever as a sort of a 20-something-year-old. Amazing, and didn't fire me right away. And uh, and then we became, you know, traveling uh, managers. I joined Ice Cream about 15 years ago, and I've worked in pretty much every part of that business. And, uh, and Unilever was very decentralized. So it was like leaving the company and joining a new company every time you left, which is probably why I ended up staying uh, for so long. Hmm. But now, you know, Ben & Jerry's is the last standalone company inside uh, this uh, this multinational. So in the, the other ice cream divisions were separate? Yeah, it used to be like uh, all different separate divisions and separate companies. So so you were really like all the companies were a little bit like Ben & Jerry's, you know, the, the, the ice cream company in Sweden was a standalone ice cream company that happened to be owned by Unilever uh, and worked together to, to, to improve things. But, you know, it was a standalone unit. And uh, and now, in, you know, the way that, that big businesses run, you have to augmentate these businesses. you got to get cost efficiencies, etc. So Ben & Jerry's is now due to its acquisition agreement and its sort of unique setup as mm-hmm. a B Corp, etc. It's, it's, it's one of the last uh, bastions of standalone companies. Mm-hmm. But uh, I noticed in the past you worked with other divisions like Good Humor and yes. Klondike Correct. and things like yeah. that. I've been in all the different ice cream divisions. So is Klondike a separate division than Good Humor? No, no. Okay. It's all managing one. Okay. It's all managing one out of Englewood Cliffs, which is the North American head offices for for Unilever in, in, in North America. Okay. I used to sell Good Humor ice cream. Oh. So I, I, um, uh, I'm an expert when it exactly. comes to, to Good Humor. Did you have one of those wonderful old trucks? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with, the, with the change thing. Exactly. With the ch- chinging of the bells. You know, it used to be great. You could be at the top of a street. And you could hit those bells and every single door would open. I mean, it was just And that's the magic of ice cream. And I think that's why I haven't left. Because why would you not want to be part of giving that much joy and excitement to people? And, uh, you know, I think that's still fun. My first sales convention in in North America, I drove one of those trucks into the actual meeting room. Nice. And even then, these hardened salespeople couldn't help but getting all jittery and we threw ice cream out. (laughs) Yeah. Of course, the mothers, when you came by at about 4.30 or 5, right before dinner, they didn't really really appreciate no. it. Everybody wanted you to come back after dinner. Exactly. But what I, what I was curious mm. about, because I was reading a little bit about your work and trying to sort of rebrand and, mm. and really elevate back up ice cream. So what was going on? that needed to be changed, that needed to be kind of reinvigorated in ice cream? Yeah, it, you know, like I think 
ice cream per se has always been a fabulous category. I think it's a category that gives more joy and more excitement per calorie and sugar than pretty much anything else you can get out there. You know, it's a sort of the healthiest, best indulgence, I think. It's still a full-on indulgence, should be consumed in, you know, with moderation, but it's a, it's a full-on thing. So in, in my lifetime, it's been more about how you manage those businesses, how you keep the, the, the energy so you can give that energy uh, to your customers. Uh, it's not really been a category problem. It's, so it's not the product? No, it's not okay. the product. It's typically with businesses, if you got a good product and a good category, it's more about what do you put into it as a company? What do your people put into it? Because, you know, what you pretty much get what you put in, you get out. Okay, so how do people get stale when they're working in a in a in a in industry like that? That is a very good question. It's a very good question. You know, it's like any other business. There are big business system challenges: manufacturing, distribution, distributors, retailers. So you know, you, you can quickly get yourself stuck into that side rather than the ringing the bell and seeing the kids come charging at you, which is the front end and the you know, the joy end. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I think the ice cream industry is uh, in the U.S. has, you know, has gone through uh, some ups and downs. But, you know, it's a big industry. It's got some great people in it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm feeling optimistic. Temporarily lost contact with the Mike Johnson show. We'll get him back as soon as we can. Yourself, but it's an occasional treat, and it should be eaten as an occasional treat, and not as a any form of way as a health food. Two four four seventeen seventy seven is our local number. Toll free, you can reach us at eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five. Talk about Ben and Jerry's being off on its own. What difference does that make in the in the corporate structure? What is, difference does it make here on the ground in Vermont? Well, first of all, you know we we sort of we got the best of both worlds. So we've got a very aligned single shareholder. And that gives us enormous support in terms of, uh, you know, our sales forces, manufacturing technology, access to capital, and all those great things. Uh, but then, uh, you know, on the other side, we, we, we're, we're still a standalone company in that we have our independent board of directors that as part of this acquisition agreement to keep the integrity of the social mission and the three-part mission of Ben and & Jerry's, an independent board of directors was established that have actually control over the integrity of the brand the social mission, the livable wage policies, and a whole host of other things. Very granular detail, very path-breaking if you think about it back in 2000. So this board is self-selecting, has, Unilever has two seats on it, on one, and then they have one other board member. So this board really controls mm -hmm. the sort of the integrity of the business mm -hmm. and sets the policies that drive that. And, and this combination of being part of a corporate, not having to be out there raising money all the time, but then having a board, you know, which has the executive director of Greenpeace on it, the CEO of Heifer International, just to mention sort of big name, mm -hmm. and a lot of strong activists, enormous experience. That allows us to, to meld, you know, to, to bring together these two elements. On the Vermont part, you know, this is part of what we were talking here at VBSR. Uh, we are now selling in 35 countries. Uh, today, I actually have people from about 20 countries uh, here in South Burlington uh, having training on Ben and & Jerry's. And I say nobody can really understand Ben & Jerry's before they come to Vermont. Uh, you know, we are an integral part Vermont's an integral part of us and we're an integral part of it and you couldn't take us out of this and, and be what we are. And uh, you know, we, we, always, we always often say you know, the farmers are the custodians of the beautiful Vermont landscape and I think VBSR is the custodians of the progressive entrepreneurial spirit that has produced amazing companies like you know, Seven Generations, New Chapter, Rhino Foods, uh, you know, a whole host of great businesses including Ben & Jerry's. Uh, so for us, this is an integral part. Making our product is also really challenging. You know, we got chunks and swirls and complex products. It's really a product that's designed like an artisanal product. 
being made on a large scale. Mm -hmm. So our people in manufacturing are critical to our success. And, you know, we got our site in Waterbury and St. Albans. And, and these are really the core of what makes our business so successful, I think. You know, I think people are kind of surprised that this 15 years later after this deal went through that somehow this company is actually as strong as it is still here in Vermont. Yeah, it is. You know, there's a lot of cynicism that this was going to be a, a short, Sellout. you know, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And, and it, you know, and, and I don't think there's any uh, people in big corporations that say, like, I'm going to go and, and undermine this, these things. But I think this is a unique acquisition in that this governance structure was put in place with such strong people who then create the space uh, for people like myself to drive that mission. I would also have to say that our business model, the, the model of a socially responsible end-to-end uh, -end from farm to, to pack, uh, uh, businesses that engage their customers in making a better community, is the winning business model. So as an owner, you also really can complain because it actually works and a lot of other businesses actually want to copy this model and, and, and are interested in what is it that makes it unique and special. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think whilst, you know, the, the founders and the board did amazing work in creating this, which was very counterintuitive in the early 80s to have a socially responsible business, they were seen as, you know, this is, this is just not how it's supposed to be. Companies aren't supposed to be like this. And I think now increasingly we're seeing a wave of companies looking to say, how can we emulate this? You know, why would people go and work for an evil company? You know, they want to go and work for a good company. They want to go and work for a company that they can bring their own passions and their own uh, interests in making a difference in the community to work. And I think those are the sort of winning things and elements that, that is now, you know, we're on trend. So it's not just a marketing ploy these people are doing? No. If it was, you know, and I love Ben's quote, he always likes to say, well, if, if the social mission is a marketing ploy, I sure hope a lot of other people take up that type of marketing. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about labeling. There's discussion here in Vermont. We've had the, the GMO law that's passed. There's been questions about natural, all natural, or not natural, yeah. organic, not organic. What actually makes sense to tell consumers? What information do you think they actually need? need. Well, we, we, you know, we, we in general believe that you should empower the consumer uh, as much as you can and that the consumer is perfectly capable of making, uh, you know, educated choices. And it doesn't mean that they would choose to avoid everything and anything or whatever, but they can make educated choices. We believe that GMOs uh, should be labeled. It's a significant enough technology in our view that it should be labeled and people should have the choice, uh, you know, when to consume that and what type of products they want to consume that, which is why we are, you know, really supportive. I've been campaigning very strongly for GMO labeling across the country and we've, we've participated in Washington State, in Oregon, and very actively here together with WePerg uh, and others uh, to, uh, to pass the Vermont law. Mm -hmm. Uh, it looks like it's uh, going to face a challenge. What are you hearing across the rest of the country on this? Resistance or, or interest? What, what? Well, you know, I always say, you know, we, we, are, we were very disappointed that we, we lost the ballot initiative in Washington and in Oregon. But if you look at any uh, uh, polling now, you know, between 80 and 90 percent of consumers want GMO labeling. They won't like to know what's in their food. So when asked that question... Uh, that's very clearly demanded. So if you're looking at what's happening in the industry, the great news is there's a lot of non-GMO options coming to market. And over the next two to three years, I think you'll see that increasing dramatically. So in some ways, even if we haven't gotten full labeling and full disclosure through everywhere yet, the market is already reacting to people wanting uh, non-GMO options. Um, on the labeling initiative, you know, the, the politics of America is, is complicated. Uh, we believe still in a state-by-state -state way to arrive at Washington. We, we, we're, you know, we're against the Dark Act, as, uh, as we like to call it. I think it's got a nicer name if you're on the other side. But uh, 
you know, we, we believe people, the people power, will in the end get us there. And in the meantime, people will be developing non-GMO products. So The American political system is complicated. Huh? <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> you try to stay polite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell me about competition. You, you've been doing, as you mentioned, you had a number of years prior to Ben & Jerry's when you joined five years ago. Um, so tw go back 20 years here compared to today. Mm -hmm. Ice cream industry significantly more competitive? Uh, no, I, I think it's it's pretty similar. Really? I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's... I think what's happening is you're having... Uh, what, what we're seeing now is a lot more smaller players okay. playing around the fringes. But the sort of big core has uh, remained uh, pretty steady. I think it depends a little bit how you define competition. Because at the end of the day, you know, the way we look at competition is not, you know, direct ice cream competition. We look at the whole universe of what, what do people want to indulge with? What do people want to treat themselves with? Um, how can we make people feel better, feel some joy? Uh, and so we look at that universe. And in that universe, I would say it's become more fragmented. Okay. Rather than, you know, and, and that creates a different type of competition. Is ice cream consumption down? It's pretty steady in the U.S., a slight decline in per capita, but it's, you know, comparatively speaking, the U.S., U.S., Australia, Scandinavia are the highest per capita uh, consumption countries uh, in the world. So it's, uh, it's okay. a, still a significant consumption. Okay. I was, was going to ask you that. That's an, that's an interesting, is there, I'm trying to think if there's sort of a theme between that. There's not, is there? Well, there are, the, the, the typically the countries that have high per capita consumption are the countries where, where the dairies, uh, you know, we were basically looking for ways to use excess milk. So they were making, they were producing fresh milk, they were doing yogurts, and they were doing ice cream. Okay. And, and this bundling together of all these and cheeses, etc. So this was really like a spectrum of dairy products. And that stimulated uh, consumption. Whilst in other countries where ice cream was more seen as an alternative to chocolate or whatever, it's got more comparative consumption to chocolate. Well, see, if you're comparing it into this, here's my local dairy, and you know my favorite thing out of the local dairy is their ice cream. Right. Uh, you know that that has created a base where ice cream was the sort of established everyday dessert. Uh huh. There is a uh, Ben and Jerry's in China now, isn't there? No, oh, we're I... not. We're not in China yet. We opened in Tokyo. Tokyo. Tokyo, right. and we're, we're, we've been looking at China and trying to work that out. If you think America is complicated, China is even more complicated. <laughs> well, and it's also a population that is not uh, dairy products are are not something that are popular. No, it's a it's a novelty. Uh, in in Japan, it's a huge uh, market. So j the Japanese. Uh, you know, premium end of the market is is a is, is a significant market, and Häagen Dazs is very strong there. It's all in mini cups. It's a lot less sweet than the American uh, uh, system, but it, it's a uh, uh, Japan is quite substantial. In in China, it, it's not. It's an evolving and mm -hmm. developing segment, and it's mostly eaten away from the home. You know, people. Yeah, yeah I'm remembering now because I was on a trip there in 2007. It was available in the little cups, and That's it was right. really like a novelty yeah. and I mean you would have thought that people had just I don't know discovered some yeah. uh, you know new uh, treasure or yeah. something yeah. it really is it is remarkable it are is. you gonna make an effort to try to really push into China you think not yet I mean we're we're busy we're, we've got so many exciting places uh, uh, to go we've just entered Brazil and Brazil is on a wonderful journey of uh, awakening middle classes that are getting engaged in their communities, and it's a perfect time uh, for us. And then, and then uh, Japan. Every flavor going to have nuts down there too. Uh, exactly, we yeah. can bring it up. So, and and it's it's also an opportunity. At some point, you know, we will be able to use local ingredients. Uh, you know, we've used ingredients from Brazil before, but not sold in Brazil. Right. Right. So this is is it's an exciting time for us. It's um you know it's a time when we're really looking to increase our impact on a on a larger scale, and you know, recognizing there are a lot of challenges, a lot of limitations. Uh, but uh, but it's an exciting time for Ben and Jerry's. Go back here. You said that you're you you're conscious of sort of the whole supply chain, and I know mm -hmm. there's been questions raised about farms and and how do you deal and and certify or feel that farms 
are complying with employee regulations, all of that kind of stuff. You know, it's so we use basically two big uh, big systems, but uh, you know we are sort of farm to to end product company, and uh, for us, this sort of what we call values led sourcing is really critical. Uh, dairy is our biggest ingredient, and uh, uh, we have about eighty five. Uh, farms here in Vermont that are part of our Care and Dairy program. Uh, Care and Dairy is a very comprehensive program. It goes across 11 indicators, uh, including labor, uh, but also animal welfare, environmental standards, uh, etc. It's an opt-in program, uh, and we remunerate the farmer for participating, and we provide them with uh, you know improvement programs and best practices for how they can improve the return on their farm. So it's very much a partnership. Uh, so dairy for us is really one of those where we are working with the farming community to improve their livelihoods and their impact on the environment, workers, etc. And that's, so that's how we work with that. And of course, uh, you know, one of the things you learn when you get into this job is the people who are on your side always want you to do more. And, uh, and I, uh, at first, struggled with that, and I've now come to realize that that's a good thing. And that we can, we can play a role where people do like to protest us or challenge us to do more uh, on a whole host of issues. Uh, and that's because we are listening, because we're working on it, because we bring in their, uh, their issues and we, we reflect on them and we try to put it back and put it into practice. Uh, so, so that's caring dairy. On the other hand, uh, you know, we buy our vanilla, our coffee uh, from, from the south. And, uh, and these are bought with a fair trade system. Uh, and the fair trade system is, is a great way, a great starting point where basically you pay a social premium that the cooperatives can reinvest in their community and you have a floor price so that they know when they're going into the year, if coffee drops below X, mm -hmm. they will still get that floor price. Mm -hmm. um, now, uh, neither carrying dairy nor the fair trade system is sufficient and they are not our end point. There are starting points, and we keep continuously working with these communities to improve. Now, we believe farming is the sort of the base of the global economy, is the way we're going to get the population out of poverty, is the way we're going to feed our world. So we have a lot of respect for farmers, and we want to ensure that you know they can prosper, uh, and we want to ensure that their workers um, also prosper. And uh, and it's it's not it's not always straightforward, uh, you know. But working with a broad set of partners, we think we can make a big impact. Maybe put these yeah. on here. Okay. We're going to take a uh, call from Tom and Barry. Good uh, morning, Tom. How are you? Monomer, uh, I had just a quick question for your guest. When you when you guys like branch out into like Japan and in Brazil, um, I know the Ben and Jerry's recipes are specific with a certain percentage of cream and milk. Do you guys haul in the dairy to the countries, or do you try to, you know, either change your recipes and and how do you find the right quality of milk and stuff uh, when you go to another country? And I'll just listen. Okay, thank you, Tom. That's. Thank you, Tom. That's a that's a great question. Um, so it might surprise you, but actually, when we entered a new country like Brazil, uh, we actually make the ice cream here in Vermont because it is extremely difficult to source all those ingredients uh, at the quality level, at the specifications that that we use. So we always start when we open a country. Wow! And we make it here. And then you could say, then the follow-up question is normally, what's the carbon footprint of that? And, uh, and that's the amazing thing. Once you put ice cream into a container, and we get a lot of Ben & Jerry's into one container, I can tell you that much, and put it on a ship, it's actually less, I have a less carbon footprint shipping that pretty much to Australia than I do if I went from here to California on a truck. So it's, it's not very bad from an environmental point of view. Once we reach a certain scale, then we open manufacturing. So in, 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 at the moment, we have our two factories here in Vermont, in Waterbury and, and St. Albans. We have a, a, a factory in Hellendorn in Holland. And there we've established exactly the same thing. We've established a partnership with the local dairy farmers. Uh, but even there, we have to ship some ingredients. So for example, the, our wonderful, wonderful cookie dough uh, from Rhino Foods here in, in, in Burlington is shipped from Burlington to 
to Helen Dorn. Our, our brownies uh, that are made by Grayston Bakery, which is a, a wonderful institution in, uh, in Yonkers, New York, actually is the brownies we use in all of Ben & Jerry's everywhere in the world. We also do have one production line on the West Coast because of this you know, impact <laughs> yeah. of moving stuff around. Yeah. Uh, so, and then we have one little unit in Canada because you can't get anything into Canada that's got dairy in it. So, so that's it. So it's still quite held together here. Uh, and it, it's a, it's a big challenge because our product is very unique. It's not something that you can go and buy the ingredients right off the shelf. Thank you for your time this morning. Good luck today. Thank you. Uh, Jostein Solheim is the uh, CEO of Ben & Jerry's. That's going to wrap things up for hour number one here at the Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility, their annual conference. Keep your dial right here. This is FM 96.1 WDEV Warren and AM 550 WDEV Waterbury Montpelier. News coming your way next.